You're listening to Resurrection Life with Pastor Nathan Trice. So my friends, uh, let's today take up a very practical question uh, in this series on church membership at Resurrection Life. Uh, We've taken up some pretty deep theology Uh, We've looked at the doctrine of the church, and we've looked at the doctrine of the covenant, and how those two things are closely related, and talked about some of the implications of those things for life at resurrection. But uh, now I think I want to ask the question very practically, uh, what is so great about being a member of a local church? I am mindful that some might be listening who have, in fact, never Uh, joined a local church, never been uh, in any way for any length of time a meaningful part of a local Christian congregation. Uh, So what are some things that um, we should expect to be blessings uh, that come to us from God through our participation in a local church? And here's how I want to answer that pleasant question. Uh, I want to say it in light of things I've already been unpacking this way. Folks, we as Christians need to be nurtured, and the church is God's greatest gift for a whole life of Christian nurture. Now, I think I'll make as a jumping-off point a vow uh, that our congregation— takes as a congregation every time a new individual or new family is received into membership at Resurrection. Uh, So we'll be looking at the vows that the new member takes. We'll be looking at that in good time. Uh, But this is the vow that the congregation takes, the promise before God, that's what a vow is, uh, that the congregation takes all together with regard to the new member. And uh, here's that Vow. It's an answer to this particular question that I put to resurrection. Do you promise before God to assist this person, I name them by name, in their Christian nurture by godly example, prayer, and encouragement in our most precious faith and in the fellowship of believers? Now, here's what I'm really wanting to focus on. Uh, in that vow, uh, we are promising as a whole congregation to be a nurturing community to that new member. Do you promise before God to assist this person in their Christian nurture? Now, that's fundamental to uh, what I would submit every church is called to be, and I think it's fair to say Uh, It's basic to the ministry culture of resurrection. But what does that mean? Well, the word nurture is one that we've used in a variety of different contexts, right? We all have some sense of what that means. If I were to turn to the dictionary and look up the word nurture, I'd probably come up with something like this definition. The care needed to sustain life and to promote growth. That's what nurture is, and it has wide uh, or differing applications. Um, Anywhere there's life, 
it makes sense to speak of nurture. So a gardener, for example, is a nurturer of plant life. A mother is a nurturer of human life. So when we talk about Christian nurture, we're talking about the care that is needed to sustain spiritual life and to promote spiritual life. Friends, um, your spiritual life will only be sustained with care. Your spiritual growth will only come about by care. And Christian nurture in the church is the care that we provide to one another as Christians in order to preserve one another in spiritual life and to promote growth in that spiritual life that we have and share in Christ. So I'm saying that the great blessing of being part of a local church, uh, a local Christian congregation, is that you, as a Christian, are given something you desperately need. You're given Christian nurture. Now, what does that look like? That's how I'll spend the rest of the time in this episode. What does it look like? What should it look like? What does the by the grace of God, does it look like at Resurrection Presbyterian Church? By the way, uh, Resurrection is a flawed congregation. We fall short of our calling in a wide variety of ways, to be sure. But folks, I will say that by the grace of God, Resurrection is a nurturing community. And uh, if you're looking for a congregation uh, to join, if you're looking for a church to make your home, you want and have reason to hope that it will be a nurturing community. What does that look like? I have seven ways. The perfect number, right? I have seven um, specific ways that we all need to be nurtured, and seven ways that membership in the local church is therefore uh, such a blessing. So here's number one. You and I need to be nurtured through the gathering of the saints on the Lord's Day. You're not surprised that I start there, right? This is what we've seen is basic to the very identity of the church as it's defined by the scriptures. We talked about how the church is a community of people gathering to worship God, be nourished by his grace, and be equipped to advance his kingdom. That's the definition that I unpacked some time ago. And What I'm pointing out here is simply that this gathering and our part in the gathering of the church, uh, it has a primacy over every other form of nurture that we receive. Our gatherings at Resurrection on Sundays, morning and evening, are where we expect the primary nurture of God through his church to take place. Now, why do we expect that? Well, it has everything to do with our whole view at resurrection of the purpose of the Sabbath day, the Christian Sabbath, as we call it. Uh, That's a reference, of course, to the fourth commandment of the Ten Commandments. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy, Moses tells the people of Israel. And what was the Sabbath uh, ordained to be? for God's people. It was ordained to be his provision for their physical refreshment, 
their bodies, but also their spiritual refreshment, their souls. Uh, So at Resurrection, that's how we understand Sundays to serve the people of God to this very day. They are They're days for feasting, physically and spiritually, if you will, resting bodily and feasting spiritually on the means of grace, as we call them. It's our opportunity to pull away from the world and to turn towards one another in a special way uh, and to turn towards the Lord. And since the same fourth commandment that calls for resting on the Sabbath day also calls for working on the other six days of the week. Uh, Folks, that means the other six days of the week are going to be busy, and we look primarily to Sundays for the largest part of our spiritual nurture. So our participation in the gatherings of the church community, which are so vital to to our very identity as a church, that's what we look first and foremost for our spiritual nurture. One of our favorite Sabbath passages, at least mine, uh, at Resurrection is Exodus 31. It says something about nurture, but in a perhaps surprising way. Uh, God says through his servant Moses, Therefore the people of Israel shall keep the Sabbath, observing the Sabbath throughout their generations as a covenant forever. It is a sign forever between me and the people of Israel. That in six days, the Lord made heaven and earth, and listen to this, and on the seventh day, he rested and was refreshed. Now, that's a striking thing to say about God, that he was refreshed. What does that mean, that God was refreshed? Well, it certainly doesn't mean that after all those six days of creation work, he was exhausted, he was weary, he needed to be uh, recuperating. That's not what it means uh, to speak of the omnipotent God being refreshed. Uh, Rather, brothers and sisters, I think what we are to understand is that God on that day put down the labors of creation. He set back, if you will, speaking in human terms, and he delighted himself in what he'd made. Now, that delighting himself in what he made, that was his refreshment. He uh, was enjoying seeing uh, his creatures. And for us to keep the Sabbath, we're to do the same thing, though in reverse, if you will. We're to step away from our work, and we're to turn towards our Creator And we're to delight ourselves in him and in the relationship we have with him and thereby to be refreshed and to be indeed nurtured. So Sundays are all about our restoring our relationship with God through confessing our sins and renewing our covenant with him. It's all about our pursuing growth in that relationship by learning from God's word. Sundays are about simply enjoying Uh, spending time with God uh, and with his people. So this high view of what we call the Christian Sabbath, Sunday, uh, lies behind our expectations that our spiritual nurture is going to be chiefly, though not exclusively, uh, experienced by us as we are part of the gatherings of God's people. So you'll find, if you 
hang out with us long enough at Resurrection that we're a pretty Sunday-centric congregation. What we do on Sunday is intended, of course, to spread into the rest of the week, and we'll be coming back to that in just a moment. But uh, this is the primary day of nurture, and even the nurture that we do with one another during the week and for each other during the week, uh, it is a kind of overflow of what we've been doing so prominently on Sunday. If I can take a little detour here, this uh, might be a good time uh, for me to anticipate a question that sometimes comes to those who are getting to know our congregation. Why have you continued that old-fashioned pattern of two Sunday services? Can I say just a word about that at this point? Um, We actually encourage members of Resurrection not to think of them as two uh, worship services, but to think of them as two halves of one whole service of worship, if you will, with a, a nice leisurely break in between the two halves. And we do that because we have actually placed in both of those services, the 9.30 Sunday morning service and the 5.30 Sunday afternoon service, elements of worship we consider to be very vital. We've placed them in both of those services. So, for example, uh, in the morning, we have our confession of sin and our assurance of pardon. That's a vital part of our worship. But in the evening, we have our pastoral prayer, also a very important part uh, of our worship on Sundays. Typically on Sunday mornings, if the sermon is from the New Testament, for example, the sermon in the evening and the series in the evening will be from the Old Testament and vice versa, although that's not an inflexible rule. That's a way of our presenting a kind of balanced whole Bible diet uh, to our members. The sacraments uh, are another illustration of this. We celebrate the sacrament of, of baptism in the morning. That's when we receive new members, and uh, the children of our members are also baptized in the morning. But uh, we have a tradition of culminating all of our worship on Sunday night with the Lord's Supper. So I'm just making the point uh, that to miss either the morning or the evening would be to miss half of what we are considering at Resurrection, uh, vital and important parts of our worship with God. So, uh, when I'm asked uh, why two services on Sunday, uh, especially in light of the fact that I'm fully aware uh, many churches have dropped that second service, what was a very prevailing pattern uh, in so many churches in our country, morning and evening worship, has been reduced to just that morning service, perhaps in some cases just that afternoon service. Um, here's what I say in answer to the question, why are you uh, at Resurrection old-fashioned that way? Here's, a, here's what we consider to be, particularly the shepherds at Resurrection, uh, some of the most compelling reasons for our having a morning and an evening pattern of worship. Number one, just more of grace. More of grace, more of God uh, is better. Spiritual health, folks, Uh, is a factor largely of intake, (laughs) not unlike our physical growth as children. If children are malnourished, they don't grow as they would, but if they're able to eat well and abundantly, they grow to be strong. It's the same way it is for us, and 
if we have the opportunity to have more of uh, the nourishment that comes from gathering on Sundays, then, well, we're eager to make the most of every opportunity. Uh, We're also mindful, friends, think about it this way. Uh, We live in a society in which the average Christian has an unprecedented amount of exposure to that which is evil and that which is unwholesome because of so many forms of media that are piping into our lives, so many things that are counterproductive to our spiritual growth. I think truly in an unprecedented way, we live that kind of life and we are what we eat, aren't we, spiritually speaking? And so it seems the better course of wisdom if any generation uh, needed more, not less, uh, of spiritual intake, spiritual caloric intake. It would be the generation that we live in now uh, that is battling against so much that is unwholesome in our world. Uh, We believe the Lord's Day is for worship and fellowship with God and with each other, and if that's the primary purpose, then we are motivated to spend the whole day that way. Maybe the best reason for having worship morning and evening and resurrection is the simplest, and that is just because we can. Folks, um, given all that is happening in worship, given all that is both glorifying to God and nourishing to our souls in worship, just the fact that we can that we can come back and pick up where we left off and spend even more time with the Lord in his presence, uh, that's enough for us at Resurrection uh, as an argument for doing so. Why wouldn't we? In other words, God is certainly worthy of it. Well, that's a little bit of a detour. Uh, Anticipating a question that uh, sometimes comes up as people are getting to know Uh, resurrection and realize that we have two services of worship, like many churches once upon a time did, and that we're quite enthusiastic about both of those services of worship. There is a little bit uh, of the why behind that pattern. So the first is the one I've spent the most time on, or at least intend to. Uh, What is the blessing of being part of a local congregation? Well, it's being nurtured uh, through the gatherings that take place on the Lord's Day. Let's move on uh, and take up number two. Number two, the blessing of church membership and involvement in a local church is being nourished, being nurtured through congregational prayer. Now, I wonder if you've thought of this before, uh, how much congregational prayer, specifically the prayers of your church family for you, is in fact a primary part of your Christian nurture. Remember that vow that I cited uh, that we take at resurrection as a congregation with regard to each individual that joins? It goes this way, again, do you promise before God to assist him or her in their Christian nurture? By godly example, the next thing is prayer. Do you promise to nurture this new member by your prayers? Folks, let me put it to you this way. It is a biblical reality that if you as a Christian 
are going to survive and even thrive spiritually. You need to have people praying for you. Uh, It is not enough for you to just be praying for yourself. You need to have other people praying for you as well. Now, that's biblical. I can't cite all the places, but I'll cite one. Ephesians 6. You know this portion of uh, Paul's letter is famous for, among other things, his treatise on spiritual warfare. So remember what he says. Finally, verse 10, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. So after uh, giving us in these formidable (laughs) uh, terms uh, the reality of spiritual warfare, he then goes on to tell the people to put on the armor of God. Uh, He talks about the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, the shoes of the gospel, and so on. And here's why I'm reminding you of this famous portion of Paul's letter. Remember, brothers and sisters, how he concludes this whole treatise on spiritual threats to our well-being, the things we must do. He says, verse 18, praying at all times, in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication, he says, to that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. Here's my point. When the apostle is considering some of the grave threats that there are against our spiritual uh, life and vitality, he doesn't just tell people, uh, the Ephesian Christians in this case, how they need to live. He tells them as a congregation how they need to be in prayer for each other. Guys, have you ever found yourself at a point in your life when you realize this, that you were in desperate need for people to pray for you? Maybe it was not for you. Maybe it was somebody that you loved and something had happened that was desperately uh, dangerous to their physical or their spiritual well-being, and you realize, I need people to pray. I've had those experiences, those searing moments in my life when I realized I have a desperate need for people to pray. By the grace of God, I can say that Resurrection Presbyterian Church has a culture of prayer for one another. Frequently, we devote the whole morning adult Sunday school hour to just praying, praying for one another, especially when something has arisen within the congregation, the life of one member of the congregation that is urgent. We will drop everything and spend that hour in prayer for that member. Each week, we gather requests uh, from one another, and we distribute them to one another as a prayer guide as part of the life of our church. Sometimes we'll actually call a special meeting of the church, a gathering of all the saints of resurrection, perhaps on a Wednesday night, just to both pray and fast. Sometimes our times of prayer are accompanied by our congregational fasting for certain urgent needs. 
I've already mentioned the pastoral prayer, which is no small part of our life together as a praying congregation, taking up matters large and small pertaining to the kingdom and to our own local covenant community. We even have, uh, for members of the church, a daily text that comes to your phone if you're a member of our church, uh, encouraging you to pray for one particular individual or one particular family in the church, just as a rotation uh, through our membership. Folks, if you're a Christian, you need to be prayed for. The more people are praying for you, the better. And becoming part of a faithful, praying congregation is a powerful blessing in your life towards your own spiritual nurture. So we're being nurtured through our congregational prayer. That was number two. Moving on, number three, uh, the blessing of being part of a local church is that you're nurtured through the Bible instruction that is provided through that church. So this, too, is a basic fundamental need of every Christian, solid biblical teaching. Uh, When a Christian is very young in the Lord, the Bible calls that teaching milk. Uh, 1 Corinthians 3, verse 2, for example, that's what baby Christians need. They need some of the simplest uh, things in the Scripture. And the longer one has lived with Christ and grown, well, the Bible calls that kind of teaching the solid meat of the Word. That comes from Hebrews chapter 5. Folks, you know this, I trust. Historic Christianity has always maintained this focus on the truth of God's Word as the nourishment that enables us to grow as Christians. Spiritual growth comes from understanding and applying God's Word. Now, the Bible is clear. We need this spiritual nurture through the teaching of the Word, first and foremost, by those who are set apart by God as teachers in the church. Ephesians 4 is talking about that when it says, And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. Or first, or sorry, first Timothy chapter 5, uh, verse 17, he says, Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. So, folks, uh, the local church provides for the spiritual nourishment of all its members uh, so very prominently through this multifaceted Bible teaching ministry that's a mark of every faithful Bible church. I want to say to those who are considering uh, Resurrection Presbyterian Church as a possible church home, The pastors and elders of this congregation take this responsibility very seriously uh, with regard to the pulpit in worship, or what we might call the lectern in the Sunday school classes, or in even the more informal occasions uh, for counsel and Bible instruction. Uh, The elders of the church recognize that the scriptures call on them to protect the members of the church from false teaching what Paul calls every wind of doctrine, and what he also calls deceitful schemes. So we are spiritually nourished by Bible teaching first and foremost by those that God appoints in each local church 
whose calling is to provide that uh, to the members of the church. But I do not want uh, to leave out that the nurture of the church through Bible teaching is also something that we all do, one with each other. Uh, Paul is talking about that in Colossians chapter 3, verse 16. He says, let the word of Christ, excuse me, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. That's a word to the whole congregation. There is a teaching ministry and a ministry of admonition that every member of the church uh, has a right to expect from all the rest of the congregation. Uh, Younger Christians especially need to be taught by older and more mature Christians. We call that mentoring and discipling. I'm going to be coming back to that, but for the now, I'm wanting you to see that the nurture that the local church provides in God's plan includes other fellow members as well as pastors and elders who teach the Word of God, uh, whether it's formal or even very informally. If all this is true, uh, shouldn't this be one of the primary criteria that any of us ch- uses uh, to choose a church? Uh, where will my family and where will my children uh, with me be well taught? Uh, that's as fundamental a need as any that we have. So the blessing of being part of the local church is thirdly that we're nurtured through the Bible instruction that's uniquely found in local churches. Number four is all about Christian fellowship. Not just Bible instruction now, but Christian fellowship is nurturing to us if we are disciples of the Lord Jesus. And that's something, too, that is provided by the local church. If you have kids, particularly if you have boys, uh, you know how quickly they get hungry a little bit of activity, a little bit of energy expended, and they are ravenous. Well, folks, according to the Scripture, growing Christians, like growing little boys, become inevitably hungry for more than one thing. They become hungry, among other things, for fellowship, Christian fellowship. Acts 2, verse 46, or I remember that phenomenon when that growing congregation Day by day, verse 46, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. So what is Christian fellowship? What are we talking about? Uh, We talk about this thing that uh, the early church became so hungry for and we often uh, reference. Well, Christian fellowship is simply enjoying and deepening the bonds that we have in Christ. So it it includes all the human companionship that isn't precisely unique to Christianity, the socializing that all kinds of people enjoy, yet it adds this element of a shared interest in the things of God and a shared commitment to support one another uh, in our spiritual growth. Remember that vow that I've been using as an illustration, the vow that the Congregation of Resurrection takes 
the occasion of each new member joining. It goes again like this. Do you promise before God to assist so-and-so in their Christian nurture by godly example, prayer, and encouragement in our most precious faith, and in the fellowship of believers? There it is. The fellowship of believers is a part of our nurturing one another. Now, that fellowship looks like a thousand different things, folks, and they're all wonderful. I love to see it uh, in the congregation that I pastor and have seen it ever since I've been here in just how happy people are when they come into the building from the parking lot on a Sunday morning or Sunday afternoon. I'm hearing their the sounds of their joy at being together as we are uh, getting ourselves into place for the worship to begin. I love that about resurrection. I also love about the congregation that that fellowship begins immediately after service is over. And people are standing, kids are running around playing, that's their own version of fellowship. And uh, folks at Resurrection, I love to see uh, you stay. You stay, especially in summer times, you stay uh, and talk and laugh uh, and uh, share sometimes very personal things and sometimes sit back down again at the pew and, and pray together before you leave. Fellowship, of course, doesn't just happen on Sundays and in our gatherings. Sometimes it involves catching up with each other during the week. Many times it will be over coffee or a meal in each other's homes or uh, in a meeting specifically to pray about something. All manner, I couldn't uh, make an exhaustive list of ways that Christians who are hungry for fellowship as a way of growing in the Lord devise to do that. The point is, whether you know it or not, you need this. And the church is God's primary provision for it. Folks, I would assert to you that the local church should be at the center of every Christian's social life. There's all kinds of other social outlets we have as Christians, and uh, some of them involve those who are outside of the church entirely, those who are not Christians, rightly so. But the local church should be at the very center of every Christian's social life. That's God's ordination, uh, or ordinance, I should rather say, uh, for the Christian uh, in his local church involvement. Well, let me move on from Christian fellowship. Now to talk about number five, Christian discipleship. It's a blessing to be part of a local church because therein you're nurtured through something we call Christian discipleship. Did you catch that uh, little phrase in our vow, again, that congregation members make, the occasion of a new member coming into resurrection, uh, assisting one another in Christian nurture by godly example? That little piece of the vow uh, is getting at the fact that we need as Christians not only to be told from the pulpit or uh, in a classroom or in a... in a Bible lesson of some kind, how to live the Christian life, we also need to be shown how to live the Christian life. We need those who've been doing it longer than we have, those who have gained, by God's grace, some a success in it 
to show us how it's done. A famous example of this in the Bible is found in Paul's exhortation through Titus to the women of the church that he pastored. And Paul says, Older women likewise are to teach what is good, and so to train the young women to love their husbands and their children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. What's he calling on the older women to do? He's calling on the older women uh, to disciple the younger women, to teach them, to train them, and particularly to do so in the context of everyday life. Uh, That's what discipleship, that's what Christian discipleship looks like. We've called that at Resurrection mentoring relationships. And those can be uh, formal in a certain sense. They can be very, very informal. They can be stated, I'm going to mentor you, you're going to be my mentoree, so to speak, or they can be very casual. Next time I'm going to talk about um, a little bit more what it would be like to take on a mentoring role with someone else. But for the moment, I'm simply saying that if you're a Christian that needs to be discipled, the church is where God intends for you to be able to find that particular blessing. And that too, if I may add, is a good criteria for choosing a local church. Are there Christians whose lives I want to emulate in that church? So Christian discipleship is a great blessing to be sought and found in the local church. Number six, let me talk a a bit about elder oversight or elder shepherding. That is a blessing for all of us who are followers of Christ, who need the nurture the church provides. Uh, That's blessing number six. Acts chapter 20, Paul is speaking to the elders of the church at Ephesus. He says, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. Paul is calling on certain men, they are the elders of the church, uh, to care for, to oversee, uh, and to provide nourishment uh, for the members of the church. You know, folks, um, Paul did this, of course, as a pastor, and He had a very, very vivid metaphor for the work of pastoring or shepherding in the local church. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 7, he says to the Thessalonians, But we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. That's a pretty vivid metaphor for what a pastor does with his parishioners. He says we were gentle we were with you like a nursing mother. What a beautiful picture of nurture uh, that he's giving. That's a beautiful image of pastoral care. And folks, you're right to think that every Christian needs a pastor. Every Christian needs an elder who's shepherding them. Uh, this is for the preservation and the promoting of your own spiritual life. Paul's letters in general to Timothy are quite a treasure trove of instruction to church leaders, and 
Folks, there are three main things he calls on elders and pastors to provide church members towards their spiritual nurture. He calls them to provide them counsel, helping a brother or sister understand uh, what the Bible says about this or that situation in their life. Folks, we all have a need uh, for counsel at one time or another in our lives. He tells uh, the pastors and elders of churches to be encouragers. Uh, And uh, encouragement can be a very robust kind of thing, helping uh, a member of uh, the covenant community to to stay uh, in the race uh, that Paul calls the Christian life, to stay motivated in that life. Counsel, encouragement, and sometimes admonition is called for. Admonition is called for by pastors and elders with individual members of the church when there's a certain area of sin that needs to be dealt with. Uh, And that uh, spiritual shepherd uh, points that out in love to that member. I'll just say, uh, again, for those who are contemplating membership uh, at Resurrection Presbyterian Church, folks, we as elders, take our responsibility to provide that kind of nurture very seriously. We have uh, taken a practical step to make sure that there are no sheep in the fold that are neglected or overlooked in this spiritual shepherding. We've divided the whole congregation of resurrection into what we call shepherding groups. And each shepherding group is under a specific elder uh, among the elders. The responsibilities of that elder towards his shepherding group is, number one, to know the people that are there in his group, to pray for the people that are in that group, to visit them, and then to be available to them uh, when they have need. This um, is a wonderful kind of relationship that each member of the church is encouraged uh, to expect with their shepherding elder. Uh, at resurrection. That too, I would submit, is an important criteria for choosing a church. Who are the shepherds and what do they believe about shepherding? Well, there's been six so far blessings of being part of a local church that pertain to our spiritual nurture. And I have one more Uh, And it may surprise you. It may not sound like spiritual nurture. Uh, But my final blessing to being part of a local church is that you are nurtured through material support. So when I talk about material support, think, uh, think in terms of our society, how many different kinds of, quote, support groups uh, there are and um, that can be available to us <clears throat> in our lives. All kinds of uh, secular or uh, non-Christian versions of this. And there's no doubt a great deal of good that's done by support groups, people coming together in order to provide support, particularly in times of hardship uh, in our lives. Well, folks, I want to say that the church is the original support group. God has ordained that this gathering that we each have a part, a place in, is our support group as we go through a life that can at times become very hard. 
So who's going to come to your aid when life gets really tough? Folks, that's what your church community is for. It may look like what we sometimes call sweat equity (laughs) by For example, the men of the church, you have a need. It may be to move all your stuff from one house to another. It may be to repair uh, something on your uh, um, uh, in your house or on your property. It may be some crisis that you enter into, and you need some you need some strong backs. Uh, At Resurrection, we've got that little uh, Minuteman (laughs) uh, squad uh, that can be organized to provide uh, that kind of material help. Sometimes it may be. Uh, the uh, well-timed meal brought uh, when you've been at the hospital all day because some uh, crisis arose and and you need a hot meal delivered to your house. Or you've just had uh, a baby and you're in a season with your family uh, of uh, greater weakness and vulnerability and, shall we say, preoccupation with the needs of that new baby. And you need a woman Uh, in the church, or quite a few in some circumstances, uh, to line up to provide uh, in that tangible way uh, their love in in meals or cleaning the house or what have you. Uh, There is a whole office in the church, as God has ordained it, uh, that is particularly mindful of the material support that's sometimes needed by the members of the church, and that's the office of deacon. I don't have time to go into this at all just now, but uh, we at Resurrection understand that in Acts chapter 6, we see what we call the diaconate, that, um, that um, number of men that have been set aside for a certain kind of ministry within the church. We see in Acts 6, that is where it all starts. And in Acts 6, it's actually the material needs of certain women in the church Uh, that the deacons uh, are tasked with meeting. These are widows in the case of Acts chapter 6. But the broader uh, role of deacons is to make sure that no member of the local church will go without basic necessities. That will not happen uh, in a faithful biblical church. Uh, Friends, I don't know if you've ever been part of a community like that who's looking out for you body and soul, who's mindful of your needs and is going to, in some cases, be galvanized to action uh, as a community uh, to come alongside you and to support you. But I can say to you, that is a wonderful blessing. And it's yet another form of blessing that comes from being part of a local church. So I have given seven varied kinds of blessings uh, that come from church membership, that come from your participation in any faithful Bible-believing church, and by God's grace, uh, would be something you would enjoy by being part of Resurrection Presbyterian Church. I wonder how all this sounds to you all these blessings of being part of a covenant community. Does it sound, does it sound, folks, too good to be true? Well, friends, it isn't something that a whole community of sinful people 
ever does flawlessly. It's not something, this nurture that is provided by the congregation for every one of its members, it's not something that's done uh, without gaps and without mistakes, to be sure. But friends, I want to say to every single one of you listening, this is not too good to be true. In fact, it is God's wonderful invention that through his church, he would nurture you himself. He's the great nurturer, to be sure. He's the one who nurtures spiritual life in us and provides for us, even in material ways. But brothers and sisters, uh, he does so, so very prominently and chiefly through his church. And it's something that you are right to want. You should want to have the nurture of a community of people. Now, having given a bit of a survey of all those blessings of being part of a local church, I hope you're not going to be surprised that next time uh, when I continue this series, I will want to look with you at some of the responsibilities that come uh, to being part of a local church. Indeed, all the things that I've described of all the blessings uh, that comes from being nurtured as a member of a church can only happen if everyone in that church also sees themselves as in the position of providing nurture. So, that's what we'll pick up next time. Uh, not now, or sorry, not then the church as a community that nurtures you, but we'll look at the other side of the coin, uh, the church as a community in which you as an individual provide this kind of spiritual nurture to others. Well, friends, I hope you will press on with me in considering these very important and I hope delightful realities that God has uh, presented to us in his word about being part of his church. But for now, I am content to leave the blessings of being in the church community uh, to you, to your prayerful consideration, and I look forward to next time. Lord, keep you. Christ is risen. You've been listening to another episode of Resurrection Life with Pastor Nathan Trice. This is a ministry of Resurrection Presbyterian Church in Matthews, North Carolina. And if you've enjoyed today's podcast, please consider sharing it with someone you know. Thank you for joining us.